today on the Workers for Joy podcast. These scriptures point us towards the truth that rest comes from God's presence. Therefore, rest is a spiritual thing before it's a mental or an emotional reality. Welcome to the Workers for Joy podcast. Talks and Presence is designed to give you a blueprint for ways to connect with the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day life. Join us as we fellowship over the person of Jesus, in whose presence is fullness of joy. Hi guys, welcome back to the Workers for Joy podcast. This is John, and today I'm excited to talk to you about the Sabbath or the rest of God. And I want to connect it to this idea of presence that we've been talking about together. How we're going to tackle this is we're going to first review a little bit of background where this idea came from, and then more importantly, push into what does it mean for our lives today? How can we discern if we are walking in the rest of God? So as we get started here, um, I'm going to use the term Sabbath and the rest of God a little bit interchangeably, and let me explain why. The term Sabbath is found in the Old Testament and is a Jewish word that simply means to cease or to rest from activity. The first time we see uh, these words appear in the Bible is in Genesis 2, and it says, On the seventh day God finished his work. Verse 3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God put a picture of rest right into the story of creation. He also spoke about the blessing that comes from entering rest. Scripture says he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. As the story continues in the scripture, he put a literal Sabbath day into the Jewish law. And there was even implications for economics and social customs that are derived from the Sabbath. Every seven years would be a rest from working the land as one example. The Jubilee, which happened every seventh seven, was about a complete rest and even involved returning land back to those who had lost it in hard times. Well, these are a few of the physical or natural foundations that are derived from creation and the Jewish law. Spiritually, um, rest was the atmosphere in the Garden of Eden. Rest is the atmosphere of the new heavens and the new earth where we are going in the future. And rest reveals actually the nature of God. It speaks to us that God is love. He's a provider. He's taking care of us. In fact, the word shalom is the Jewish word for that we translate peace, basically means that things are the way they ought to be. Shalom means there isn't pain, there isn't relational brokenness, there is no material lack. So when you think of rest, I want you to think of the full provision of God. If everything is the way it ought to be, you're at rest, right? In the New Testament, the Jewish law was fulfilled in Christ because Jesus came to point us to the greater reality of God's spiritual rest. He modeled someone abiding in rest emotionally and spiritually. He modeled that the rest of God is about a spiritual posture of faith to receive the provision and the grace of God in everyday life rather than perform works on your own. Jesus said things like, I only do what I see my father doing, because he was at rest. He was receiving from his father. Despite this fact, um, I think people still often confuse the Old Testament physical rule, not working on a single day, with the spiritual reality that God is really after today. 
So let's look at a few New Testament scriptures and just see how Jesus interacted with the physical Sabbath day and what sort of things he did to point us to the spiritual reality of God's rest. We'll start in Mark chapter 2. There's a story here of Jesus and his disciples were walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath day, and the disciples picked some grain and they ate it, which apparently signified work to the Pharisees because they actually come to Jesus and say, why do your disciples pick grain on the Sabbath? This isn't lawful for them to do. In response, Jesus refers to a story in the Old Testament where David went right into the holy place in the temple, and he took bread off of the altar, which was set aside for God, and he used it to feed himself and his men in a time of need. This, of course, was a far more offensive act to Jewish customs and the law itself, but was actually an act of faith by someone who saw God as a provider. So Jesus summarizes his view and says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. I.e., God was wanting to give something to man, not man to bow down to a set of rules or regulations in the Sabbath. So Sabbath is not about a rule, Jesus is explaining. It's about connecting people with the nature and the heart of God. God wants mankind to enter rest. Sabbath is a gift. It's not something we do. Matthew 12 is another example. Jesus is in the temple. The Pharisees approach him to question him, and they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And you can probably hear this as people who are not in emotional or spiritual rest. They're probably jealous of the attention being given to Jesus, who actually demonstrates real spiritual provision from God, spiritual rest. And Jesus, in an act of really defiance towards the human tradition that the Pharisees were guarding so closely, um, he tells a man with a withered hand to stretch out his hand, and he heals this man right in front of them all. Of course, Jesus is demonstrating God's shalom, God's rest. He's putting things back the way they ought to be. And In fact, the New Testament uh, has a word for healing, and it's called sozo. And it just means saved, healed, or delivered. You could think of sozo in this holistic sense as returning humanity, whatever is broken, back to the shalom or the rest of God. But the point is this. Jesus never let a rule or a tradition stop him from helping others. He was always looking to return things back to the way his father wanted them to be. And actually, he's modeling that he ministered the rest of God to people. Uh, One final New Testament scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2 says very explicitly or directly, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are all things in the Jewish law. He says, these are a shadow of the things that are to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear. Don't let anyone judge you with how you celebrate things found in the law, including the Sabbath. It's all about how you celebrate Christ. He is the one that these things point to. He is the one who brings us into spiritual rest. So, I want to shift now and talk a little bit about how to practice rest. And we've been defining a little bit about the background and where and what rest actually is. 
But when it comes to practicing rest, <clears throat> I want to give you a word to think about, and that word is abiding. So what is abiding? Of course, this is taken from John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. When you think of practicing rest, um, I want you to think of abiding. I want you to think back to our first podcast where we describe that out of God's presence comes every good and perfect gift. There's nothing good that comes apart from him. Abiding in the author of life brings life. So abiding means stuff like asking and then waiting and then receiving. This is the exact opposite of the human way to solve a problem, which would involve stuff like thinking, trying, doing, doing the rules of religion. You're trying to achieve something. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Remember, the substance is in Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. So there is a receiving and a humility that is necessary to enter the rest of God. If you're going to observe the Sabbath in this sense, we need humility. We need faith to connect us to God. And it's in this posture of faith that we will receive his rest by an act of his grace. Let me give you a simple story uh, to further illustrate this point. Um, years ago, I was in a business meeting with a Christian businessman, and we were discussing the role of God in our everyday work and how do we honor God in the marketplace. And he basically summarized his view by saying, quote, I don't think God cares about my work as long as I'm honest and don't cheat anyone. I think God will bless me if I do the right thing. So based on what we've said about abiding and receiving to this point, does that sound like spiritual rest by faith or human effort? You see, unintentionally, he was actually saying that he was like a practical atheist. He was free to do his own life without any interaction with God. He didn't need to receive direction from God and therefore didn't have any relational connection with God throughout his day. Also, by implication, he would be responsible for achieving his own success. Would it be any surprise if I told you that there was some pride issues? I don't think many of us would say it, but this is actually how we feel inside about our life. We often feel God is distant and doesn't care, and therefore it becomes hard to receive spiritual direction. And we, if we don't believe that he will be there for us, we actually start to work to please him. So we go out and do our life for ourselves, and we hope that God will bless us. Just like this businessman who said, I don't think God really cares, so I'm just going to go do it. This, of course, is not what God intended. He does care for us. He does want to have relationship with us. He wants to be an active part of our life, and it takes real faith to believe that. Remember what Jesus taught us about entering the kingdom? If we want to enter the kingdom of rest, I might add, we have to become like a little child. What does a little child do to work? Well, nothing, right? Isn't it the parent's job to provide? Kids don't even know what they need most of the time, and parents really supply so many things before the kids even ask. What is the one job of kids? Isn't it just to listen to their parents? Isn't it just to receive their love? And isn't that the way things should be? This is a picture of a God who wants to be there for us, a loving father 
who does life with us and provides for our needs. Of course, this highlights the importance of hearing God. In last podcast, we talked about hearing God's voice. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to some practical ways that you can begin to practice and hear God in your own life. But for today, this is the exact point that the writer of Hebrews makes in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. These are really central passages that talk about entering the rest of God in the New Testament. Hebrews 3 verse 7 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. And this is speaking back to Israel wandering in the wilderness after being led out of Egypt. Even though God did amazing miracles and was doing his part, being a provider, a generation actually fell short of the rest or the promise of God. It continues a few verses later, God saying, So I swore in my anger they shall not enter my rest. So because Israel didn't listen to the voice of God, they didn't believe that he would be their provider all the way through until the very end. They said things like, maybe he doesn't really care about us. Maybe we will be defeated. They didn't enter God's rest because of that heart posture. Hebrews 4.1 continues and it speaks to us. It says, we have a promise that we can enter God's rest. And it goes on to say to us today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So I want you to hear this in a very hopeful sense. You and I were made for this. The word of God is not too far off. He is near to you and to me, but it will take some practice and some humility to discover the full fruits of this. In fact, verse 12 of chapter four in Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active. It's a now thing that you and I must respond to. And what does this verse say? It says it discerns our hearts. This means it shows us the difference between our soul, what is our self, and what is spirit. So God in his presence, his word, is here to help us discern when we are walking in our own resource or his. If there was any doubt, I just want to give you one more verse on the goodness of God as a father in this regard. Ephesians 1, chapter 3, Paul starts his letter to the Ephesians with this idea. He says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united to Christ. So if we are going to enter the rest of God, we need to have faith like a child. We need to believe that God is a good Father who has made real relational provision for absolutely everything we need. Before we uh, look at a few points of application, I want to give you Um, some ways you can begin to discern if you are walking in rest in your own life. And the first key to this is the absence of mental activity. When we enter the rest of God, we are leaving self-reliance and therefore our own thoughts on life, and we're learning to receive from God and obey. When we actually do this, we think less and we trust more. You see, thinking um, or excessive thinking on a problem is a symptom that we're trying to do life or solve our problems on our own. We're trying to initiate maybe even spiritual activity like spiritual disciplines or prayer on our own. Of course, this is often a counterfeit to God's real wisdom that is meant to be a gift to us in situations where we don't see or we don't understand. What God intended when we would come to major decision points in our life is that we would enter prayer. We would enter relationship through him. We would quiet ourselves, excess mental activity would stop, and we would receive something from him. 
And so I just want us to know that our brain is always searching for certainty, and yet it doesn't have the capacity to bring us into rest. Only faith and connection with God can actually bring us into rest. So the second practical way we can discern if we are walking in rest is the level of peace in which we actually experience. Of course, this is very closely tied to less mental activity, but the scripture is full of this idea that a mind set on the spirit is peaceful. Isaiah 26.3 describes anchoring our thoughts in relationship with God. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Romans 8, 5, and 6 says that a mind set on the flesh leads to death, while a mind set on the spirit leads to life and peace. These scriptures point us towards the truth that rest comes from God's presence. Therefore, rest is a spiritual thing before it's a mental or an emotional reality. This is why Philippians 4 says that when we pray, we present our requests, our thoughts, our confusion. 1 Peter says we cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And what does Philippians 4 say? When we do that, when we connect with God through prayer, the fruit of that is that the peace of God should then transcend our heart and our mind and keep us in Christ. Colossians 3, Paul says it this way, let the peace of God rule. Give it space to lead your life. Let the peace of God rule in your heart, it says. And this leads us to the final way we can discern rest in our own lives. It's the amount of time we spend waiting. How much time do you spend waiting on God? How often will you be still before him in prayer or in devotion? Of course, this would apply when we're talking about the spiritual disciplines in our life. But think of this too in regards to practical moments in our life as well. How often do we stop when someone offends us? Do you wait for the input of God or do you just react? What about when a problem arises? (laughs) Do you think before you pray? Is prayer and stillness your first default? You see, waiting means receiving rest rather than working for it. Waiting takes faith. Remember, scripture says that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So now it's time for application. Each podcast is geared towards giving you practical steps to walking out the information you just heard. By God's grace, we are moving from teaching into equipping. So today for application, I want you to practice waiting on the Lord. And first, I want you to actually get out a stopwatch or a timer, and I want you to be still before God for about 10 minutes. I want you to practice waiting on the Lord. I want you to practice calming your flesh down and being still. As you do this, watch how your brain tries to fill the gap to think or to do something. Watch if worry begins to arise, things you have to do, problems you have to solve. Identify what are the things in your life that are bringing pressure to you. The absence of activity, and especially mental activity, is going to bring these things to the surface. As these things arise, practice surrendering them, casting your cares on the Lord. As you wait, look and see if faith arises for something. Maybe there's a sense of direction, a creative idea that comes to you. 
when you have heard from the Lord, whether he gives you by word or by impression or by scripture or just by patience, sometimes patience is the direction of the Lord. What you have done is in all your ways, you've acknowledged him and you know at that point he is going to make your path straight. At the end of this process, peace should be in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that everything we need for life and godliness is found in you. Thank you, Father, that you have made provision for us to enter your rest. We love you and we receive your peace in your rest today by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today for Talks and Presence. We bless you with faith as you give yourself permission to pursue Jesus this week. He truly is our source of joy. We will see you next time for Talks and Presence.